Hi, and welcome to the Twilliger Community Church Equip podcast series. Uh, we're in the middle of a few episodes um, where we are bringing to you the teaching from the 2020 ABA Men's Retreat. And while these teachings are from a men's retreat, they are by no means restricted to any gender, uh, but rather can be enjoyed and learned from by anyone. Uh, we were so blessed at this men's retreat to have Rob alone from Vantage Point 3 as our speaker. And Rob covered the topic of friendship and mentorship, talking about the importance of how you and I can more actively work to be both friends and mentors to those around us. This is the third session of the weekend from our Saturday evening, and it is titled The Quality of Friendship We Offer. So I hope you enjoy this session. But uh, one of the things that uh, is rich about the sort of uh, the seat I sit in is you get to, um, well, let me put it this way, the journey, a meaningful walk with a group of people guided by three primary questions. Who is God? Who am I? And what does God desire to do through me? And those are all the sorts of questions. You don't fill in the blank on those and then move on to something more advanced. Uh, Those questions connect with us at 25, 45, 75. The oldest facilitator, person who led a group that ever trained, was a woman in Southern California named Rita. She was 92, and she had a group of 60-year-olds going through the journey. And her comment was this. One of them was her pastor. She said, you uh, 60-year-olds got a lot of growing up yet to do. And uh, she goes, because I look around at my peers, and uh, as far as I can tell, if you do not learn how to forgive people, you do not make it to 92. And everyone did that instead of laughed, right? And uh, the Lord is in the business of helping us grow up lifelong. And, uh, and so, so much of what we've been talking about this weekend uh, I feel at times, even last night I felt it, that I squeezed in a few too many thoughts at one time. It's the sorts of thoughts that uh, really need a proper six to eight months to unpack in each of our lives and in conversation with people. And uh, so the journey of Focus 3, in short, is uh, it's an exercise in paying attention together to what God is up to in your life, in your community, and it's an exercise in friendship. Uh, that's a bit of the hidden curriculum. Because friendship, community, is the place where we discover more deeply what God's doing in our lives. Uh, we simply cannot see that stuff on our own at times. I can remember a story. Uh, I've shared a little bit about this Dr. Houston. His, her, his wife's name was Rita. She uh, struggled with dementia until for about 10 years and and passed away in 2015. And uh, a story that I often tell is of uh, two good friends of mine that were with Dr. Houston and Rita in Santa Barbara, California. And one of these friends of mine is kind of a restless spirit. He's still at 45, a very restless guy in terms of what is it that God's doing in my life, etc. And uh, at wit's end, when he was about 25, He's around coffee, and he says uh, to Mrs. Houston, I just can't tell whether I'm actually growing at all, whether I'm moving. And uh, the other friend of mine that was there had his three-year-old son with him. Uh, 
And uh, so uh, Mike, my friend, the restless spirit, said, I just get so frustrated, I don't know if I'm growing or I'm moving. To which Rita said to him, well, of course you don't know whether you're growing. And she pointed at uh, Max, the three-year-old son, and said, you think he has any idea at all that he's growing? But you ask his dad, Dana, and he can tell you all sorts of areas in which he's growing. And I think this points to the integral importance of community, right? We not only cheat ourselves, we cheat one another when we don't walk more closely with one another. Because we can't see the things that he's doing in our lives. We need the encouragement. You know, many times I need a good friend to say, relax, Rob. Stop trying to figure this stuff out. Okay? One guy told me a story. He, uh, I'm, I'm probably given, some of you may be more given to activity as your default. So when in doubt, do something about it. I'm given to the default of when in doubt, think harder about it. Okay? And it gets me in all sorts of trouble. But it's also a strength at times. And, uh, and so he told me the story because I was beginning to reflect in my 30s about what the Lord was doing and how was I doing and was I in the right place, etc., etc. And this guy named Steve told me a story about uh, a five-year-old in the garden with his uh, grandfather. And his grandfather was getting utterly frustrated with his five-year-old uh, grandson because his grandson kept checking the carrots. Are they ready yet? Are they ready yet? And he would stop checking the carrots. And my friend Steve said, you're the five-year-old. You keep on checking how you're doing. You keep on checking the carrots. Uh, ah, stop checking the carrots, Rob. Now, there could be a few of you in the room for whom it's about time you check the carrots. Okay? I had a good friend named Greg. And he, we went through the journey group, and he said this. He was 45, and he said uh, about six sessions in, he said, uh, I'm not really sure that I have reflected on my life since I was 18 years old. This guy's three kids, good job, house. And I, and I said to him, well, what, what happened at 18? He goes, I was in prison. He goes... That was my last really reflective moment <laughs> until the past two months. Greg needed to check the carrots a little bit more to see what God was doing. And uh, so an exercise in uh, friendship and an exercise in paying attention. I, uh, I sort of wish that, however it comes to you, that uh, whether you are 75, 38, or 25 that you find a space and a place in your life to pay attention to what God's doing. I think he might surprise you. Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace and your, uh, in our lives as we sung for your goodness. Lord, may we be open. Some of us have an awful lot of uh, baggage with deeply condemning voices in our head that we oftentimes uh, name as your spirit. And, uh, Lord, we miss the whole thrust of Scripture, your goodness from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. 
And so I ask, Lord, that we might be open at another level in our lives, in the everydayness of what we put our hand and our heart and our feet to and our mind to, that we might be open to being surprised by your grace and activity in our lives. Lord, we certainly will not come to that on our own. We need good friends. Uh, Fundamentally, we need your spirit to stir these good things. And so, Spirit of God, continue to be generous to this group of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read you a story about one of the more favorite people in my life. He's been dead a while now. I've got to find it. It's in this book. I want to tell you about my Uncle Tom. There are a lot of Toms in my family. My father's name is Tom. My pop-up was a Tom. And even my middle name is Thomas. I have a Tom for a second cousin. But there was only one Uncle Tom in the world that I lived in growing up. He was my dad's uncle, one of my grandma's four brothers. Uncle Tom was a humorous character. In our family, the stories abound. He was the sort of person who, when told not to touch the chocolate fudge cooling in the kitchen, was known not just to brush aside such cautions by taking a fingerful, but he was also known to take the whole tray with him to work. As a butcher, he was known to cause a couple of unsuspecting women, women to all but pass out by a sharp chop of the cleaver, followed by a yelling and writhing as if he had just chopped off a finger or two. My dad tells a story of Uncle Tom taking him and his sister fishing when they were still young at a creek a short walk from their house. Now this creek was lucky to have a couple frogs, some worms, and a stray snake or two. It majored mostly in mosquitoes. There was no fish to be found in that creek. But my dad and my Aunt Harriet were very young, and they didn't know better. So off they went with Uncle Tom and two fishing rods. He generated the sort of enthusiasm fit for a serious fisherman at a raging Montana stream. Once they got to the creek, he set them up, and they started fishing. He didn't place them right next to each other, but he spread them out a bit so they could find out where the fish were biting. As Dad tells it, Uncle Tom moved back and forth between the two of them for a bit. And then he said, Tommy, you better go see if Harriet needs some help. I think they might be biting down there. Here, I'll hold your rod. After looking at Harriet's situation for a bit and without any results, Dad walked back to the rod Uncle Tom handed him the rod and headed back to Harriet. But as he left, he said, Tommy, you might want to reel back in that line. I think I felt a couple tugs. So as the story goes, Uncle Tom walked back to see Harriet. And in a short time, Harriet was sent over to find Dad, reeling in the biggest fish either of them had ever caught. Then Harriet ran back to Uncle Tom, Tommy's great big fish, only to discover a whopper on the other end of her line. What an absolutely wonderful afternoon for Dad and Aunt Harriet, and I suspect for Uncle Tom as well. They grinned and bounced with joy and delight and pride and headed home, carrying their catch and their rods and walking with Uncle Tom. A strange and humorous sight it must have seemed to neighbors 
watching the threesome walk proudly back to the house with their miraculous catch. It was not until years later that Dad learned that Uncle Tom stopped off at the fish market before they headed down to the creek. But by then, his memory, this memory had done its work, and Uncle Tom's place in his heart was secure and fruitful and unrivaled. Dad recounts another childhood discovery when he finally realized why it was that every time he returned home from a walk with Uncle Tom, his pockets would be full of change. Whenever he took a walk with anyone else, other uncles or aunts, his mom or dad, he might have found a chance penny or two, and that on a good afternoon. But he walks with Uncle Tom, but his walks with Uncle Tom were profitable beyond a small boy's imagination. Everywhere they went, Dad spotted coins on the pavement, on the sidewalks, even on some lawns. Pennies and nickels and dimes filled and jingled and weighed heavy in his pocket by the end of the trek. Again, it was not until well through early childhood that Dad discovered Uncle Tom's skillful coin flicking on their walks together. Walks with Uncle Tom were far more than dollars and cents. They were for a small boy, profound offerings of grace and life and care. There was a tremendous generosity about Uncle Tom's life. His spirit spilled over to everyone who knew him. His life shaped and occupied deep places in others' lives. (laughs) Uncle Tom and his walks have offered a portrait, perhaps even a parable, of what it is like to journey through life with certain people. Some people just seem to rub off on you. They are infectious with life and spirit and grace, and you cannot remain the same person merely because you have been with them. They are like Jonathan to David, Jesus to Peter and John, Barnabas to Paul, Paul to Timothy, like a small boy taking a walk with Uncle Tom when you are with them. Truly good things happen over and over again. And this over and over again does its work, inviting, guiding, and forming us in deep places we cannot reach on our own. We walk home and our pockets are full. We catch impossible fish. And much of the time, it is absolutely inexplicable and delightful because we have also taken these same walks alone and with others, and we know what it is to return home with empty pockets. We have discovered that every person does not take walks the same. My last memory of Uncle Tom is he was uh, early 80s, and we were going to a Philadelphia Phillies baseball game. And before we let out, he loved the Phillies. And he was sitting at our kitchen table before we got in the car, and he was wearing his Phillies hat kind of cockeyed, like as if he had a lot of attitude, right? Which he just put his hat on crooked, right? Uh, And my dad looked at him, and he said to him, "Uh, Uncle Tom, why don't you tell Robbie about uh, your favorite chapter in the Bible? And here he was with this cockeyed Philadelphia Phillies hat. He looked like a prophet in my world at that age. And uh, he recited Isaiah 53 from memory. 
And Isaiah 53 is night never quite seemed so authoritatively with that cockeyed Phillies hat and Uncle Tom. And uh, I guess my question for us tonight is what sort of walks are we taking? Right? Are we pocket full sorts of people walkers with others? Right? Some of you identified someone in your mind that reminded you of Uncle Tom. Right? Others of you, uh, I got it odd of empty pockets. Uh, I got, I, I can remember a, uh, a guy that was a football coach that uh, we were doing a life narrative thing. He was telling me about his first 20 years of his life. And the way we do it is we put it on these little post-it notes, all the things you remember uh, about the first 20 years. He told his whole life. And the negative things are pink and the positive things are yellow. And he had, in his first 20 years of life, one yellow and everything else was pink. He goes, I had a math teacher that told me I was pretty good at math. He goes, what did I become? A math teacher, you know? And then uh, a few years later, he became a football coach. And Sioux Falls, the University of Sioux Falls football stadium, is now named after this guy, okay? He's an Uncle Tom sort of person. But as far as I could tell when I heard his story, all he knew were empty pockets growing up. But somehow along the way, uh, those empty pockets caused him to look around. And uh, anyone that knows Bob Young knows a bit, he's a bit of an Uncle Tom sort of character in so many people's lives. Okay, um, What sort of walks are we taking with people? There's a quote at the top of page four by a woman named Carrie Wyatt Kent. Let me read this for us. If we are led by the Spirit, we will increasingly imitate God and become people who are filled with coming alongsideness. That is, we listen to God and people, and then we come into their story. We get involved with them enough that we can point out where God is in their story and allow them to do that for us as well. When we are full of coming alongsideness, we will be willing to walk with people through their pain. We will listen before we try to fix. We will be with people. My dad was a son of an Irish immigrant, another Tom, different Tom. Uh, He was a decent grandfather, but he wasn't a good father. Abrasive, came over at 17, 18 from Ireland, and uh, he was a rough guy. And um, my dad does not make it to adulthood with a kind bone in his body if he doesn't have Uncle Tom in his life, right? I grew up watching Uncle Tom as he was getting close. I think he knew he was getting close to dying, at least within the next decade. And all of a sudden, books would just come in the mail. You know, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Like his whole library would just start to show up in my dad's house. And I, you know, I hated books at that point in my life. I didn't really, I read because I had to. 
who knew that reading could actually be helpful uh, at that point in my life? But those books and the deep generosity of Uncle Tom's life just ripples, even today, as I think about it. It's a bit of a parable in our lives. Um, Point number one, there is no, and this is by way of review, this first point, there's no substitute or shortcut for life upon life when it comes to learning to be a growing person, learning to follow Jesus. We've been underscoring that in a number of different ways over the past uh, day. And, um, but I don't want to miss its importance. There is no substitute or shortcut for life upon life when it comes to learning to be a growing person, learning to follow Jesus. The central thread of Scripture, one way to look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is to look at it as God's deep, deep desire to be with his people. It begins in the garden. It ends in the city, right? Along the way, there is a tabernacle, right? A deep, deep desire, what? That God would dwell with his people. So much so, it is the story of stories, the incarnation. Jesus, God became man to tabernacle, to dwell with us. Uh, one, one of the people that uh, a New Testament professor, when preaching at Christmas time, put it this way, uh, when God gives a gift, he wraps it in a person. Right? And I think he was talking about more than just Jesus. There's just something so incarnational about the way this whole kingdom thing is passed. Life upon life. We share with one another. There is no substitute for life upon life in learning to follow Jesus. Um, Point number two, the practice of spiritual friendship or the practice of friendship. It is not a ministry for specialists or experts. It belongs to the priesthood of all believers. Uh, The Christian life is for amateurs. Let me say that again. Christian life is for amateurs, not professionals. The more and more we try to turn in uh, talking about what God's up to in the world into a professionalism, I think the more we distance, no, 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 no. The Christian life is, uh, it, it, it's not expertise. It's not answering all the right questions, getting an A on the test. It's, it's learning to pay attention and walk with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by his Spirit with us, a God that's on mission, right, that we get to join in. We're not just cogs in the wheel, okay? And so one of the things, I spend a fair amount of time talking to people in different local congregations about the whole element of mentoring, which immediately has some pushback in local churches. In marketplace contexts, there's no pushback. That term works for them. But in a church, immediately very, very mature Christians. I suspect some of you. Oh, I couldn't do that. I don't know enough, right? I couldn't walk with somebody, you know? And I think in our head, we think that uh, in really to pass on our lives to other people, we need to be a Yoda, right? Like if you can't levitate, don't bother, right? 
And uh, I think it messes us up, right? Uncle Tom was anything but Yoda. He didn't really know who Yoda was, even though that would have been a a wonderful conversation to have with him. Uh, I don't know which way he would have gone with that. Uh, But uh, so, uh, you know, in many ways, there is a... There's a whole group of people, I think, and uh, I often find this in conversation with my own dad, who uh, is able to be a bit of a a priest and a mentor in the workplace to people, but feels some real hesitation when asked to, to talk to someone that's a little younger than he is. And I'm like, good grief, dad. Just, and what we're going to talk about is what I would have said to him, okay? Dad, ask some questions. Listen and pray for the person, right? The three essential skills, I would say, of being a good friend, companion, and mentor to others. We'll get to that, all right? Oh, yeah, we're there. Why don't we just do that part? Uh, Let's not overcomplicate this gift and work of friendship. What is required of us if we're going to walk well with others as spiritual friends, companions, mentors, I don't know what term you want to use, mutual mentors. It doesn't need, you don't, I don't want to get lost in thinking you need to be Yoda in this whole deal, okay? And uh, if you don't know, Yoda is an important character in Star Wars. Uh, and uh, Darth Vader is the father of Luke Skywalker. So there's the, I know, I know. It's a good it's a good story. I'm glad you're tracking. Um, what is required of us if we're going to walk well with others as spiritual friends? One, listening. Listening. Becoming a good listener. So much in today's culture, when it comes down to loving our neighbor, I don't know if this is true of every culture, but in our culture, we are incessantly talked at right? Constantly. And it's getting far worse, right? In terms of the amount of information talked at us uh, in different levels. The most loving thing, if Jesus was retelling the story of the Samaritan today, I think the punchline would have been the Samaritan listened to to the guy. Somehow the story would be a little different than it is for us. The ditch would look a little differently. Our ditches today, we have ditches, But we also have ditches that look highly functional for people. And we pass by them constantly. And how do we know we pass by people? The failure to listen to them is often the the guilt of us 21st century sorts of people. Um, We think we need to be more, I don't know, offer more than a listening ear to them. And so listening... Uh, being and listening, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's uh, being present, being attentive to someone. We get better as listening when we begin to not always try to think about what we're going to say next. We listen to them. You know, I don't know, I know few people that just say, all right, all right, enough on listening. I got that one. Let's move on to something more advanced. Okay? We all feel like learners. Even the best of listeners, like, ah, I just talk, talk, talk right then. Just listen, Rob. Hear. Make space for the person. Um, 
One of the things that I did when I was working at Biola University is I was a resident director, and I did a lot, a lot of listening to undergrad students. And uh, I developed some sort of, um, what should I call it? Uh, well, I'll put it this way. If I listened to someone for about 30 to 60 minutes, I quickly knew exactly what they needed. All right, all right, I got it. This, 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 and this. Now, I was smart enough to not just say that to them, but in a cocksure sort of way, my spirit knew what they needed. What I began to discover over those four years of listening to college students, if I listened for another four to six hours more, I would quickly discover that I have no idea what this person needs. And then I started to really listen to them. And so since that point, I've always tried to sort of... uh, um, do the discipline of four to six hours. But for some of us, we are wisdom dispensers, you know? It is hard. I, I find it often hard when some of you might share something and I immediately have the right quote for you. I can't help it. It just comes out of me. But it's often a tell. Gosh, Rob, this is not about you. This is about them. Listening. Learning to listen. Um is the first essential skill. Related to it closely is question asking. Good, good question asking of others. Uh, Question asking is not, you know, we, we develop these mentoring guides and we have things like this that really dive into these practices of listening, question asking, and we'll talk about prayerfulness. But, um, and there's lists of questions and they can be helpful. But what I've often found in the great listeners in my life and question askers is what's consistent about all of them is care. They genuinely care. And the questions come from the care they feel. What is it like? It's not a technique or a tip. It's what is it like to live in Rob's shoes, right? What a strange set of shoes, like, what's it like? What's he think? You know, and they care for me. And it's out of that that these simple questions come. I mean, Jesus asks an awful lot of different questions of different people. He doesn't say the same thing. Everyone he bumps into, he doesn't tell them to sell everything they have. Right? He, uh, he often asks questions like, well, what are you looking for? Right? These open-ended questions. Right? There's open-ended questions and there's closed questions. Right? Closed questions kind of are super prescriptive. The greatest of all closed questions is this. Have you ever thought about seeing a therapist? <laughs> all right? That is not an inviting question. It's kind of pushing someone in a certain direction. An open question. How do you know you're asking an open question? You don't know the answer when you ask it. Right? It's reflecting a curiosity and an interest uh, in who they are. And um, I am, you know, I am just amazed. And we've been talking about one of those questions in very simple ways. What are you two discussing among yourselves? Luke 24, right? Not rocket science. Just genuine interest. Uh, a good friend that uh, I spent a little bit of time name, with is a guy named Richard. He's uh, in his early 90s now. He goes to the church that I go to in Sioux Falls, uh, Trinity Baptist, for some of you who know that church. And uh, Richard 
uh, we would meet often together, and he and his wife had a little phrase that they would often say when they would get back into the car after having dinner with a couple. And the little phrase was their code, or walking out to the car, and the little phrase was this, it happened again. And what, what he meant by it happened again, he goes, is, is we would sit and we would ask questions of the people across the table from us. And never once in the whole meal would they ever ask a question of us. Right? They never would reflect some curiosity in what Richard's life was like. You know? It happened again. And then he said this thing. I think he was quoting Jim Collins from good to great, he said, uh, how does he say that? Um, he goes, everyone is trying to be interesting. But the people that have affected us the most in our lives are the people who are interested in us. Right? Stop trying to be so interesting and become interested. That, that's the economy of question asking. Right? And then the last of the three essentials, right? This is very simple what I'm doing. There's a lot of complications, but I think of just what does it look like for you all to walk well in the relationships you're already in with people, to be more intentional? Well, I wouldn't know what to do. And I say, well, I'd start by listening, asking some good questions, even if you got to think of them ahead of time, right? Or thir- and thirdly, prayerfulness. It's a practice of prayer. Uh, and prayer, if, if listening reflects being present, uh, prayer uh, and question asking reflects deep care and interestedness in others, prayerfulness is about a deep trust that uh, the Lord already goes ahead of us in this conversation. One of the things in my life when I think about uh, the things that the Lord has called me to be up to is, Lord, in the next 10 years, I want to know the world more as a place. And long before I go to work, you as a great worker are already at work. While I work, you as a great worker work with. I join in. And long after I'm done, you're working. Right? And that my work, in this case, a lot of cups of coffee sitting over and asking some questions of people. It doesn't all rest in me, but rather, so prayerfulness is me trusting and discerning, sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't, what the Spirit is already doing. So when we get together as friends, we're sort of co-seekers together with what might the Lord be doing in our lives, you know? And, uh, and there's a sense of expectation, One of the great lines, I know I've mentioned Eugene Peterson a few times, but one of my favorite lines of Eugene Peterson in the middle of the Jesus way, he says this, we never know enough about Jesus to know what he's going to do next. We never know enough about Jesus to know what he's going to do next. And that means coming to a retreat like this, across a cup of coffee, picking my kids up at daycare late in the afternoon as Rosie debriefs to me, everything that has happened in daycare that day, uh, I begin to get on the edge of my seat. What, what in the world, Jesus, are you up to among us, right? And so as a, as a friend, as a companion, with someone that you both want to grow in Christ, where do you start and where do you end? 
listening, question asking, and prayerfulness. The trusting. You are not in this person's life to make something happen. Let the Lord be the one making the things happen. I'm just going to walk with this person and pay attention. That doesn't mean I'm not going to get messy, right? You bonehead, what in the world were you thinking, right? And those are the things I hear from some of my friends. Uh, and So there's, there's work, but um, so three essentials. Maybe those feel like basics to you. I hope they uh, are, uh, it's the attitude of a beginner. All of those things, the people that do them well, always have sense of being a beginner with them. All right, what do we got next? Quality of relationship we offer others depends in large part on the quality of our attention. Turn to the next page. Let me read you a story. It's a Chinese folk tale. It's called The Land of Fools. I suspect some of you have lived there before. I have. So here's a story. Once a man, page five, strayed into the world known as the land of fools, where he saw a number of people fleeing in terror from a field where they'd been trying to harvest wheat. There's a monster in the field, they told him. Upon close examination, the man saw that it was a watermelon. The stranger offered to kill the monster for them. He walked into the field, cut the melon from its stalk, took a slice, and began to eat it. Now the people were more terrified of him than they had been of the melon. They drove him away with pitchforks, crying, he will kill us next unless we get rid of him. Years later, a second man strayed into the land of fools, and the same thing happened to him. But instead of offering to help them with the monster, he agreed with them that it must be dangerous. And by tiptoeing away from it with them, he gained their confidence. He spent a long time with them in their houses, until he could teach them, little by little, the basic facts which would enable them not only to lose their fear of melons, but even to cultivate them. What in the world does this story have to do with being a friend? You got one minute, turn to your neighbor and figure that out. Okay? Quick, I'm just a one minute, it's a sprint. You're not going to be together for 20 minutes. What in the world does this story have to do with walking well with other people? All right. What do we got? A couple of shout out. What in the world does, and nothing doesn't count, okay? What in the world does this have to do with walking well with others? Take a stab at it. There's, there's no identifying. Who, who said that? There you are. Identifying your fears. It's a strong identification. Other answers. Context. Your context versus their context. What was the other one? Expect to be irrational. Expect to be irrational. The irrational, yeah. Right? We are going to see monsters and watermelons all the time. Right? Yeah. Coming alongside people. What do we got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of time factor in that, too, as you're talking about the patience to, to find out what the issue really is. Any other things? Don't that... assume you know someone after meeting them for five minutes. <laughs> Don't assume you know someone after meeting them for five minutes, okay? Uh, yeah, go for it. He took them seriously. He took them seriously, as opposed to the, uh, the knife-wielding 
first stranger, right, in the, in the land. Uh, there are a lot. This is like social work 101, all right, this sort of thing. And uh, one way to umbrella it is uh, with this notion. We need to begin where people are. The willingness to begin, in many ways you've all said that same thing, this willingness to begin where people are. Many a time in teaching a class, whether a church or someplace like this, I have come in and been profoundly impressive as I have sliced the watermelon. And I walk away going, I am not sure any learning occurred whatsoever, except I impressed them. Right? And that's my own world of illusions. So this willingness to begin. So the three areas in which if you are paying attention to the quality of attention you provide other people. Okay? Following me on that one? The quality of friendship we offer. I'm lumping three things together from a Christian perspective. The first one is this. Learning to begin where people are. And uh, there is an awful lot of challenge and correcting people that we do before we ever provide the support and understand where they are. Generally speaking, uh, people do not receive challenge well unless they trust that you're there to support them and be with them, whether you are right or not. After all, it was a watermelon that he could eat, but instead they run away in fear. And uh, so this willingness to begin where people are, I think we as men uh, need some particular tutoring in this. I don't want to make these grand gender generalizations, okay? Um, but I always thought I was a really good listener, provided lots of space, and then I got married. And I realized, well, at one level, I'm like, oh, I'm a lot more stereotypically male than I thought I was. Like, I'm so quickly trying to fix things, right? Like, there was a meltdown this afternoon uh, over uh, a Lego destruction. And I was interacting with my whole family system in a FaceTime. And I, was, I just had all sorts of answers for how we should solve this. And I uh, only verbalized one. And um, I knew immediately that was not the right thing to verbalize. Okay? And uh, women do that as well as men. So it's not just the gender. But I think we need a lot of tutoring uh, in learning how to be patient and begin with where people are. Okay? Jesus is doing it all over the place. It's as good a place as any to take that lens of beginning where people are and read the Gospels. Pick Luke. And look for every time Jesus does that. And you'll be like utterly surprised. It's almost in every chapter. Okay? Um, so the second point. Learning to begin where people are. Secondly, the areas in which we're all invited to grow is learning to get below the surface in people's lives. We are tempted to live so, so superficially. We're surface dwellers, as one of my friends call it. You know? And we long, often in our own lives, from someone who's safe, that they invite us to go a little bit deeper. 
Jesus with the Pharisees. Didn't he who uh, made the outside of the cup also make the inside of the cup? Jesus' favorite go-tos when it came to bringing the conversation deeper was he told stories and he asked good questions, right? They're all sort of indirect ways of getting at this sort of thing. Um, But learning to get below the surface in people's lives. And there's a lot we could talk about it. I buy, there was a book written in 1978 by a guy named Richard Foster. And he said this, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for more intelligent people or more gifted people, but deeper people. And I think that's more true today than it was in 1978. Okay? There's a thinning. And so learning in our own skin, right? Uh, we have to go about this in our own skin. It's not just borrowing somebody else's way of going deeper in people's lives. But learning to get below the surface in our friends' lives. I was in a car one time. with I'll go back to Jim Houston again. And uh, 20 minutes in the car with him. And he asked me some equivalent of where are you question, okay? And I told him a couple things, and uh, he asked me a question that was so profoundly insightful. And I said, so I got a question aside from my life, Dr. Houston. How in the world, after 10 minutes in a car, do I feel like you know me so clearly, Right? And it, I wanted more of it. It wasn't just like, hey, back up, buddy. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted more of what he was noticing. And he said, Rob, the Lord sends a thief to find a thief. Right? <laughs> he said, get to know the thievery of your own heart, and you'll have both the insight and the grace to help with the thievery of other people's hearts. Some of us get the insight, but not the grace. Right? Along the way. Learning to get below the surface. And that in our friendships, remember, this is a patient work. This is not something we, uh, you know, like quickly sit down with someone and then go, hey, all right, let's start right here. Most painful moment in your life. You go first, right? Okay, that scares people. It's sort of coercive vulnerability. We don't need that, right? Um, we need to begin where they are. And then thirdly, after uh, Get Below the Surface, this one's a little bit more of a mouthful. And I suspect it's not what you think it's going to be when I say it. So learning to begin where people are is an area of growth. Getting below the surface in people's lives. Are we willing to listen to the next thing that they share? Or are we quickly trying to fix something and get out of it? Um, but learning to reflect theologically. So I perked up some of your attention and others of you shut down. Learning to reflect theologically. And I mean by that is Paul's words in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Learning to see. um, In light of the story of what God's up to with the mind of Christ. Uh, in people's lives. And one of the things that's super helpful for me that uh, I would share with you is there's a theologian, his name is Ray Anderson. He taught at Fuller School of Theology for years. 
Um, great guy. And at some point in a book, he said, theological reflection says, does not ask the question, what would Jesus do? Because that question implies his absence, as if he isn't here. Theological reflection asks the question, what is Jesus doing among us and with us? And I think that paradigm shift, maybe a few of you need to get a wristband uh, that somehow communicates to you, not WWJD, which has its place, but what is Jesus doing among us? As we walk together as friends, Jesus continues to draw near and ask questions. And so I hope for some of you that maybe this frees you up a little bit to not feel all the weight that you got to be Jesus in the conversation, okay, in the friendship, but to pay attention. What is it, Lord Jesus, that you're already doing as you walk with people? So I've leaned in this last part with very, uh, or as practical as I get on a Saturday night, uh, and practically listening, learning to ask questions, and prayerfulness are the skills. They're 101, 201, 301, 401, okay, in the Christian life. And if you're wanting to learn how to grow in developing those skills, those three areas, beginning where people are, okay? I think particularly as we're walking off the map, culturally speaking, there's lots of generational differences uh, about the way we make sense of certain issues that happen and wanting a biblical set of convictions. I think if we approach these things simply as issues, we're going to get in trouble. Okay? I'm not saying that there's not biblical convictions that speak into all sorts of things. Right? Uh, down in the States, we're having kind of some heated conversations about our political sphere. Okay? Generally speaking, the wisest thing is to keep your mouth shut. Right? But from time to time, well-meaning people on both sides of the aisle feel like, I cannot be silent. And in those sorts of moments, if we are not men that be, are willing before it's time for us to say what we think, if we're not ready to begin where people are first, my advice to you would be shut up and don't say anything. Okay? It's the way Jesus would have done it. Okay? That may have been harsh. Uh, that was my WWJD. Whether I'm right or not, you can disagree. But we need to be willing to begin where people are. Whether it is a FaceTime call with my family, trying to help my wife, or a discussion over uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you've heard of those people, but they're, they're creating some significant conversation, uh, not just culture-wise, but within churches of people that care deeply about what Jesus is up to in the world, right? And we got to learn how to live together with some of these differences, even when I know I'm right. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, mostly, uh, I think, along the way. Um, so the question to continue to turn to in this reflecting theologically is not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus 
doing among us. And admittedly so, there's a lot of times you simply have no idea what he's doing. Okay? And I got to learn to get comfortable with that reality at times. And um, all right. What is the quality of relationship we offer others? Here's a, well, let me give you one other little, uh, this is, some of you know Sam Nickel. How many people know Sam Nickel? If you don't know Sam Nickel, you need to get to know Sam Nickel. Uh, One of his favorite questions uh, is this question. And I find this question answerable from everyone I've ever asked. What transition do you currently find yourself in? Let me ask that again. What transition do you currently find yourself in? Um, We've done a lot of research. A lot of what Vantage Point 3 does under the hood is we try to integrate three things. Adult learning, leadership development, and Christian spirituality or spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it. We're weaving those three things together. And all the, a lot of the research says this. 83, so this is an actual quote from a dissertation of my colleague I work with, and she discovered in her research on adult learning at Iowa State that 83% of what adults learn revolves around coping with some sort of transition in their life. 83%, you know? Just stop and think in your own life. We're going through all sorts of transitions, right? Lost my closest friend and ministry partner three and a half years ago. One of the the major transitions of my life. You know, every time I sit with my son uh, or my daughter, it's often the place where I feel the loss of Randy most. Because, gosh, I wish Randy was around to be a friend to my son, and to my daughter, you know? Major, major transition. I'm also going through a transition that my daughter, my daughter is five, and she is going to kindergarten next year. Not quite as big of a transition as my son going to kindergarten, right? Newbie upon newbie. Uh, good grief, I had all this anxiety about everything. Went into a, he's in a Spanish immersion school, right? So they only speak Spanish, in, so he only gets that uh, in school, except for an art class and gym class. And uh, good grief, the amount of anxiety. I mean, that's a major transition. Rosie, sweet Rosie, Lego up her nose, Rosie. How's she going to do as a kindergartner? That's a transition that I see, right? Some of you are in major, major transitions. You're overwhelmed by them, right? Um, we're always going through transitions in our lives. And so much about what we learn as followers of Jesus emerges out of coping with the transition, right? So, you know, for example, discipleship, if you're discipling adults, you've got to be in the transitions of their lives because that's where the Spirit's doing his work, right? How do I help that stuff come to the surface along the way? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I'm going to stop talking, but I'm going to have you turn. I'm going to give us, where are we at? Is that 930? Oh, so 
it's it's 9:30 in six hours or something like that, right? That, that's the good news of the night. Uh, okay, so it's 8:30. Gosh, I was like, gosh, I didn't think I used that many words. Have we been up here that long? Um, I would like you groups of two or three. Feel free to return to your group you're in, or if you didn't really like that group, choose another group. Okay. Um, and I want you. Uh, I want you to ask one another, what transition do you currently find yourself in? Can you handle that? Do not feel like you need to share the deepest thing of your life. Okay? Share as you would feel comfortable. But I want you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us about 10 to 15 minutes to kind of see whether you're rebelling or not. And then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll call it a night. Okay? So the end is in sight for those of you that are wondering wondering that. But I want you to turn to your neighbor or two neighbors and simply ask, what's the transition you currently find yourself in? And listen, right? If it's appropriate for one of you to pray after you've both shared, feel free to do that. But don't feel pressure that you have to do that. But uh, that's why I want us to practice a little bit together. Make sense? What transition do you... It's the question at the bottom of the page. What transition do you currently find yourself in? I will give a shout out with about three minutes left, and then I'll pray for us as a group, okay? Can I, uh, can I pray for us? And if you want to continue talking after, feel free to do that. But let me pray for us. If we are led by the Spirit, we will increasingly imitate God and become people who are filled with coming alongsideness. That is, we listen to God and people and then come into their story, get involved with them enough that we can point out where God is in their story and allow them to do that for us as well. When we are full of coming alongsideness, we will be willing to walk with people through their pain. We will listen before we try to fix, and we will be with people. One of the wishes, uh, a la Uncle Tom, is that the spirit of Uncle Tom would sort of find his way throughout congregations in North America, that uh, this walking with the deep joy of... uh, pocket full sorts of walks, right? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are a God who desires deeply to be with his people. And you have been up to that all along the way. Lord, may we as communities represented here discover this deep, deep longing to dwell with us in our lives, in our friendships, in our congregations, in our neighborhoods. That you desire to be with us. And you want to take on, you want us to take on your family resemblance. That we are men who are called to be with people and not avoid. 
And so, Spirit of God, we sure need help to become those sorts of people that are willing to walk into places, um, invading, so to speak, the muddle, not eliminating it. Can we walk in that way, Lord, when we don't necessarily know what is needed? But may we be good uh, folks that pay attention to what you might be doing in the midst. Lord, thanks for, again, this uh, space and this place to, uh, to think, to pray, to laugh, to eat good food, enjoy good company. And may uh, this night continue to have that sort of character to it. In Jesus' name, amen.